Welcome to Hacking Your ADHD, part of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. I'm your host, William Kerb, and I have ADHD, and also COVID-19. Well, had. Well, I think I'm getting over it, and for those of you wondering, yes, I did get vaccinated. It's just that this Delta variant is incredibly contagious. So with that in mind, I'd like to encourage everyone listening to keep wearing their masks and really trying to limit that social interaction. Take it from me, COVID sucks, and I had a fairly mild case. And yeah, that's how my time off has been going so far. Oh, and I also had a wildfire like a quarter mile from my house, so that was fun too. With all that, I don't have a new episode today, so we're going to be revisiting one on gratitude. Even with everything I've gone through in the last few weeks, I still have a lot of things to be grateful for. A supportive family, a roof over my head, clean drinking water. But I also want to be clear here that gratitude isn't about denying your problems. Even though there are a lot of things I can be grateful for, I still have problems in my life. I mean, I still got COVID. And trust me, you don't want COVID. So today, we're going to be exploring the mechanisms that make gratitude work. And also, perhaps tempering some of the hype around it. Then we'll be looking at ways that we can find things to be grateful for in our lives as well as looking at some of the ways that we can start our own gratitude practice. If you'd like to follow along on the show notes page, you can find that at hackingyouradhd.com slash gratitude. All right, keep on listening to find out how you can build more gratitude into your life. Before we venture into the how of gratitude, I wanted to take a detour into the why. And this isn't to say that gratitude is something we should do because there's a reward at the end of the rainbow. Because, of course, we should practice gratitude in our communities because, well, I guess it improves them. So that, so that's also kind of a reward, at least in my view. And the truth is humans rarely do anything that we don't get something out of. This is just kind of how we're wired. That's okay. There's part of my brain that rebels against the idea that everything I do is somehow self-serving. But even acts of charity release dopamine in my brain. Gratitude is no different. When we express gratitude and receive the same, we get these feel-good brain chemicals. Gratitude acts as a catalyst for releasing neurotransmitters like serotonin, dopamine, and noepinephrine. When we practice gratitude, we release these neurotransmitters that manage our emotions, anxiety, and they make us feel good. This in turn helps us release toxic emotions, reduce pain, regulate stress, improve sleep quality, build self-esteem, and just makes us happier. Gratitude is also great for our interpersonal relationships, and is so something that is regularly practiced in my household. With two young kids, it's important to teach the pleases and thank yous so that we're not devolving into the more TV now that just makes you not want to be around your kids. And sure, I do get that stuff sometimes, but that's kind of a given with kids. They're still in the process of learning how to do this stuff. And this isn't just some power play over my kids. It's something that my wife and I try to model. Thanking the other person when they make dinner or do the dishes or mow the lawn. We're a team, and so it's important to acknowledge the other person's effort. And that's one of the key ways that gratitude can be beneficial. When you're showing that you're grateful to another person, they tend to like it. If I'm watching the kids so my wife can get a little alone time, it's not a burden on me, but I still appreciate it when she acknowledges her own appreciation. When we're showing gratitude towards our partner, it helps us recognize the value in our partner. And when we value our partners, we want to hold on to them more. This bears out in a number of studies. When people feel more appreciative of their partner, they also report feeling more commitment. 
And of course, I also want to hold on to someone who appreciates what I do and who I am. Part of this is also noticing the invisible things that get done around the house. Because when the sink is clean, hey, that looks how it's supposed to. But if I didn't clean the sink, that means someone else did. It's pretty easy to ignore things like that because it just went back to neutral, and it's something super easy to take for granted. So when I notice my wife doing those invisible things around the house, I definitely try to tell her because I absolutely do appreciate everything that she does around the house. I'm not trying to say that I don't do anything, but I also get that I'm a dude, and we typically don't share the weight of keeping a home. It's absolutely not fair, so I do try and do a lot. And then I also try to show my appreciations for the things I'm not doing, because, again, we're a team, and no one likes feeling like their work is going unnoticed. And this is also true of non-romantic relationships as well. We want to be around people who we think bring value to our lives, and who in turn we can also bring value to their lives. And this isn't in a transactional sense. When I'm hanging out with my friends, we're both getting a benefit. Sometimes I'll get more, sometimes they'll get more. It doesn't matter. The value I get from relationships isn't something measured through scarcity. It's okay if it's not always equal. Although, if it tips one way too much of the time, that can lead to problems. So when I approach my relationships with a sense of gratitude, I can help build them up. I can appreciate what my friends do for me and acknowledge that they make my life better. Of course, we've also got to be aware that gratitude isn't always the answer for our relationships. Looking for gratitude in an unhealthy or abusive relationship can lead people to stay in a relationship when they really should be looking to end it. If we look back at last week's episode on rationalization, the gratitude in that kind of relationship is used to justify things. The real logic should be going the other way, with the relationship justifying the gratitude. So if you're in a bad relationship, don't try and save it by trying to find things that you should be grateful for. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't ever work on your relationships. It's just that gratitude shouldn't come with strings attached. And other studies have found tremendous benefit from gratitude. In one study at UC Davis, researchers asked participants to write a few sentences each week. These participants were these participants were in three groups. The first group was asked to write about things that they were grateful for during the week. The second group was asked to write about things that had irritated them. And the third group was asked to write about things that had happened to them, but without specifically mentioning if they should be writing about positive or negative things. After 10 weeks, participants who were in the gratitude group were rated as being more optimistic and felt better about their lives. Additionally, they were exercising more. But this is something where we want to start thinking about this relationship with the cause and effect of gratitude. From this study, a lot of people have inferred that gratitude gets you to exercise more. This may be true, or it might be true that when you are feeling happier and more optimistic about yourself, that you exercise more. So yeah, the gratitude practice led to that outcome, but it might not be a direct cause. This might just seem like semantics, but I think it's important to think about because it might mean that there are better ways for you to go about what you are trying to achieve. In this case, if someone was trying to figure out how to exercise more, a gratitude practice wouldn't be my first suggestion. With that specific goal, we'd be looking at setting up routines first, but then we might also discuss starting up a gratitude practice for its fringe benefits. In preparation for this episode, I recently finished reading A.J. Jacobs' book, Thanks a Thousand. It's a book I had started reading a while ago, but I had gotten caught up reading something else and hadn't picked it back up until recently. I thought I had about an hour left in the book, but it turned out the last section of the book was just a list of the thousand people that Jacob thanked for his morning cup of coffee. Yeah, that's right. It takes the thousand people to make his coffee. And I know what you're thinking. That must be some pretty freaking amazing coffee. Okay, here's the deal. 
Jacobs had a tradition of saying a prayer of thanksgiving before dinner every night. And since he's agnostic, it was more of him thanking the people that had helped get dinner on his table. So the farmer that grew the tomatoes, the trucker who delivered them to the store, or the cashier who rung them up. This sounds like a pretty great tradition to me. Eventually, his ten-year-old mentioned to him that all those people weren't actually in their dining room and couldn't actually hear him thanking them. He should do it in person. And A.J. Jacobs, being the person he is, thought, well, hey, that's a pretty good idea. But since there's so many things that we could be thankful for in our lives, he decided to be specific and zoom in on how he got his morning cup of coffee. And so his list of thanks include the barista that served him, the guy who chooses what coffee is served at his local coffee shop, the guy who invented those funny lids for coffee cups, the woman who does pest control for the warehouse where his coffee is stored, the farmers in Colombia. Yeah, he actually traveled to Colombia to thank the farmers that supply the coffee to his coffee shop. It goes on and on, because when you start breaking down the components of how our world works now, there are so many people involved. And this is true for pretty much everything. I mean, I could thank so many people for helping me get this podcast going. Eric Tivers for helping me get started and believing in me. The people who designed the software I used to edit my podcast. The company that made my computer. The company that made the components that go into my computer. The people I rent my office space from. The company that manages my office space for them. My wife for putting up with all my craziness. And of course, everyone who listens. And I could go on and on and on because without all those components, my podcast wouldn't be what it is. But then we have to ask, what's the importance of all this? Well, for one, it can often feel like we're doing things on our own. I know when I'm working on my podcast, it can feel like I'm a one-man army trying to make it happen. But the truth is that I use a ton of services, and there's no chance that I'd have a podcast without them. Sure, I pay for my office space and the programs I use to produce the podcast, but I can still appreciate them. I can still be grateful that by being there, they let me do some of the things that I love to do. When I was in high school, I was in a car accident where I pulled out of my street into oncoming traffic. I had looked both ways, but because of a blind spot, I still didn't see the car that was hurtling right at me, which then smashed into my driver's side door. Fortunately, no one got hurt, but my car got pretty mangled and needed extensive bodywork. While my car was in the shop, I ended up with a loaner car for a couple of weeks. It was the ever-popular HHR. Basically, Chevy's version of the PT Cruiser. Now, what's funny about this, and why I'm telling this story, is before this, I had never heard of the car HHR. But now that I had, me and my friends saw them everywhere, and it became kind of a game to point them out. Even today, I still do the funny voice and point them out if I'm with my friends. And so the point here is that our brains love to identify things. And once we start looking for things to be grateful for, our brain latches onto that, and we do it more and more throughout the day. Because it's easy to overlook things in our life that we could be thankful for. I was keenly made aware of this last week when there were some fires that flared up near my house. And with the fires, my power and internet was knocked out for a couple of days. And then without power, one of the things that was really apparent to me whenever I'd walk into a room, i just flick the light switch despite knowing the power was off. It was habit. And this got me thinking about that habit, because I'm just so used to having electricity on demand that I don't think about it at all. When I flick that light switch, I don't think about all the things that are going right for me to suddenly have electricity. I don't think about it at all. It's just neutral. And that's one of the things that we can take away from looking at that chain of gratitudes. Generally, during our day, there are hundreds of things that are going right. The lights turning on, the internet working, having food in the fridge, or we could just have our morning cup of coffee. 
and we just kind of take them at neutral value. But then we have one of those things go wrong, and that's what we focus on all day. Sometimes those couple of bad things do deserve to be focused on. But more often than not, it's just something like, I spilled my coffee this morning, or some guy cut me off in traffic. It just doesn't make sense from a numbers perspective why we give so much emphasis to the negative. And sure, there is some evolutionary perspective in that negative things were generally the things that killed us, and so we had to pay more attention to them. But dropping my keys while trying to get into the house isn't going to kill me, although it is still very annoying. And so to be clear here, I'm also not trying to say that your problems aren't problems. I understand that there is a lot of bad stuff going on in the world. I definitely had moments last week where I realized I was driving to my office in a pandemic while my town was on fire, and just asking myself what I was even doing. But at the same time, we've got to do the best with what we've got. Would it have been acceptable for me to take last week off? Absolutely. No one would have faulted me. But you know what? A lot of stuff still went right. And that's what I'm asking for you to look at. Not all the things that went wrong, but what's still going right. And this reminds me of a quote from Fred Rogers. When I was a boy and I would see scary things in the news, my mother would say to me, look for the helpers. You will always find people who are helping. I'm not saying your problems aren't problems. They absolutely are still problems. And you don't have to be grateful for your problems. But I'm just asking you to be mindful of what you still got going for you. And we can do this by working on noticing the little things that went right. And this is just basically mindfulness. We're trying to be aware of what's going on. So that means be less neutral about things that go right. Hit a green light in traffic? Notice it and appreciate it. End up in the fast line at the grocery store? Notice it and appreciate it. Have a call to customer service that goes quicker than you expect? Notice it and appreciate it. And I'm not saying that you have to throw a ticker tape parade because traffic wasn't bad today, but we can still look at the nice clear road in front of ourselves and go, nice. And that's a great way to do this. Verbalizing what you appreciate signals to your brain that noticing these things is important. Green light? Woohoo! Short route. Got the short line? All right. Of course, appreciating the small things is only one aspect of a gratitude practice. One of the most common ways people practice gratitude now is through a gratitude journal. And this is just a journal where you write down things that you are grateful for. It can be whenever is convenient for you. I like the practice of writing down gratitudes before bed. I find that it can help quiet my mind and help me sleep. But a morning practice, or wherever you can fit into your schedule, can work just as well. And I know keeping up a journaling practice can be very hard with ADHD. So part of this is also giving myself grace if I miss a day, because it doesn't have to be every day. But if you are trying to start up that practice, set those reminders that will actually get you to do it. Make sure you have the time built into your schedule so that you're remembering to do it. For me, one of the keys for a gratitude journal was understanding that I needed to be more specific with them. When I first picked up gratitude journaling, I'd have this prompt that says, I'm grateful for, and then I'd have a short line to fill in a couple of words, so I'd write things down like, I'm grateful for my wife, or I'm grateful for coffee. Now, note those statements are both incredibly short, and they don't really dive into the why at all. When we're practicing gratitude, one of the most important aspects is exploring that why of our gratitude. So now, instead of writing down, I'm grateful for my wife, I write down something specific that I appreciate. A recent example from my journal is, I'm grateful for Amanda, that's my wife, for watching the kids this afternoon so that I could get some time in to hang out with my friends. And writing down those specific actions that you are grateful for really helps ground your practice. Another alternative here is writing a gratitude letter to someone who has affected your life that you think hasn't been properly thanked. 
In many cases, we didn't thank this person at the time because we are still in the thick of things. And now that we're out of the woods, we can truly see what they did for us. Of course, this doesn't have to be a letter. It can also be a phone call or an in-person meeting. The point is that you properly get to thank this person. And so a letter can help organize your thoughts and let you get everything out that you want to say. So a great option here is to write the letter and then read the letter to them. This person can be a teacher, a friend, a colleague, a parent, or a mentor. Anyone in your life that has really impacted you in some way. And I'd like to add, writing a gratitude letter can be one of the most beneficial forms of gratitude. Some studies have found positive effects from a single gratitude letter lasting for months after the participant delivered it. But of course, if a letter isn't your thing, you can still get benefits from gratitude even if you don't share it. And before we finish out this episode, I do want to warn that gratitude isn't necessarily all warm and fuzzy. During your gratitude practice, you may stir up some complicated emotions that may be hard to deal with. You may discover that you feel indebted to someone for helping you. You may feel that you're indebted to someone. Or you may be humbled looking at all the help that you've received along your journey. These emotions may be uncomfortable. But as with many challenging endeavors, the rewards are well worth it. Thanks for sticking with me all the way to the end. Before you go, though, let's do a quick rundown of today's top tips. 1. Gratitude is showing thanks and appreciation, and it has a tremendous impact on our brains. Gratitude can help us build our relationships, regulate stress, improve our sleep quality, build self-esteem, and make us happier. 2. One way we can practice gratitude is through mindfulness and seeing all the things in our lives that are going right. It's easy for us to latch on to negative things that happen during our day. We'll miss all the things that went right, because when things go according to plan, they can often become invisible. 3. Great ways that we can practice gratitude include journaling or writing a letter to someone that has greatly impacted us in our life. While it can be helpful to share our gratitudes with other people, it isn't necessary to still get benefits from your practice. And if you wanted to check out A.J. Jacobs' book, Thanks a Thousand, or you wanted to check out the quicker TED Talk version of it, you can find links to both of those on the show notes page at hackingyouradhd.com gratitude. All right, that's it. Thanks for listening. I'd love to hear what you thought of this episode. You can reach me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at HackingYourADHD. If you've got questions for me, I've also got a new system set up to take them. Just head over to HackingYourADHD.com contact and click the orange button. It'll let you record your question, and if I can, I'll answer it on the show. If you want to support the show, be sure to leave a review on your podcast player or share this episode. You can also check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash hackingyouradhd. If you're this far into the end of the show, you might also be interested in the other podcasts on the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. For in-depth interviews with fellow ADHDers and ADHD experts, check out ADHD Rewired with Eric Tivers. If you're a parent with ADHD or have a child with ADHD, definitely check out Brendan Mahancho, ADHD Essentials. I also do a live Q&A with Eric and Brendan every second Tuesday of the month at 10.30 a.m. Pacific. If you'd like to register for the next one, just go to ADHDrewired.com slash events. And now for your moment of dad. To whoever stole my copy of Microsoft Office, I will find you. You have my word.